This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Hello and welcome. This is episode 157 of the podcast, and I'm going to be bringing you an interview with Abby Glassenberg from WhileSheNaps.com. Abby has been on the podcast. This will be her third time on the podcast, so she's someone that I've been touching base with every so often, and it's been really fun to kind of watch how her online persona and how her career has unfolded. The first time she was on the show, it was episode 100, and she was doing softbird sculpture at the time, and that was back in 2009, and then she was back again in 2011. Abby is the author of, well, several books. Her books that she's done with publishers are The Artful Bird, Feathered Friends to Make and Sew, and then and that came out in 2011. Then she went on to publish Stuffed Animals from Concept to Construction. That's about soft toy design, and that came out in 2013. It was named a best book in 2013 by Amazon. She uh, also regularly contributes craft projects to magazines. She also licenses her toy designs to Simplicity. So she is really in the thick of it, and her blog has really expanded, and now she's doing a lot of in-depth, kind of explanatory type of analysis reporting, and she seems to be very good at that, where she can take a topic and kind of dismantle it into all of its parts and then really explain it very clearly to her readers. In addition to the books that Abby's published with publishers, she's also started to produce her own ebooks, and so she has a, a book that is about sending out email newsletters. She also has the Insider's Guide to Starting an Online Sewing Pattern Business. And then she also has Get to Know Your Sewing Machine, a Teacher's Guide. And this is another ebook where you can get her curriculum and start teaching classes. If you know how to sew and you want to teach others, you don't have to then make up your own curriculum, which is a really interesting concept of what she's been able to do. And of course, these ebooks are in addition to her vast archive of PDF sewing patterns that she has, and she has a lot of sewing patterns. You can go to whileshenaps.com and check out all of these things while you're listening to the show. But before I get ahead of myself here, I want to take a moment to thank my Patreon sponsors and ACS Home and Work for keeping this show going. Now that I'm in the thick of reinventing myself as an independent journalist, I so much appreciate the support. It really gives me a little bounce in my step. So I know that I'm not going this alone. Thank you folks for coming along on this journey with me. I'm going to start out by having Abby explain how she started blogging and how it has changed along the way as times have changed, blogs have changed. Her approach to business is very organized and 
I think that you'll be able to learn quite a bit from her. So grab a project and your cup of tea or coffee or whatever you drink and I would also recommend a notebook this time because something tells me that you might want to jot a couple things down. So all right well let's get to that interview. You started in 2005. What was While She Naps like at that point? So in 2005, While She Naps came about because I read about blogs in the New York Times and I didn't know what they were. And that article opened my eyes like, okay, there's people making these online journals with photos and words. That's interesting. And I said to my husband, I wonder if there's ones for people who make things, like for for people who make crafty things. And so we looked online and we found a few. And there were some like live journal groups and stuff like that that I was looking at. And then we were out for date night one night and we were at Barnes & Noble and the Starbucks attached to a Barnes & Noble. <laughs> and it was pouring rain and we we're having coffee. And I was like, you know, I think I could do this. I could start one. I, you know, could write a, a craft blog. That time I said, I think I'll call it while she's napping because I will just write it about all the things that I'm doing while our daughter, Roxanne, who was nine months old at that time, who is now 10, by the way, um, wow. is napping. And I was like, while she's napping. And then I wrote it out and it looked like while she's snapping. So I was like, <laughs> no, I can't do that. I'll just call it while she naps. And so that's what it was. And, and it was really everything. I was digging up the grass in our front yard and planting a garden. I was learning how to decorate cakes so I could decorate a cake, like bake and decorate and ice a cake for her first birthday. I was making origami. I love origami. So I was doing that. I was making greeting cards. And I was doing some sewing, a little bit of sewing. Um, like we would go to story time at the library. And then after story time, we'd go to the craft book section. I'd take home some, you know, vintage 1970s, 60s craft books and on sewing st stuffed animals and read them and sew those things. And so that's what Wall Street Naps was. And it was that for a long time, um, probably the first two and a half years. It was, I posted sometimes four or five days a week, but it was really just like, here's a project from my desk, you know, and it was any kind of project. And then in 2007, I had made a lot of toys. So when I was sewing, I was always making toys. I always really liked three-dimensional sewing. And so I had like a show at our local library um, at where Storytime was. They had a lot of um, display, case, <laughs> display cases. And I was like, oh, well, they have different shows and they had applications on the desk. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just take one and apply. And so they gave me a show. I'm not really sure how many other people actually applied to get a show there. So they gave me a show. They gave me all the display cases on the whole first floor of the library. So I was like, I had 53 toys. Wow. And I just put them all out like all kind. I mean, it was really a random collection. Like, here's all the different kinds of things I've designed in the last like two years. Um, and then um, at the very end of designing stuff for that, I made these really tall birds that were like waiting birds, and those got a lot of really good attention. And then I just started making birds after that because I felt like there was a lot more to explore. So for the next maybe two and a half years, the blog was all birds. Like every post was like here's a bird, here's another bird. I went to a rummage sale. I found this really cool piece of vintage fabric and now it's a bird. Like every post is like, I tried out a different species of birds. Here's how I did the legs on this bird. Like, so it was just that for, for a long time. And then I got a book deal to write The Artful Bird, which mm -hmm. was a book of patterns to make birds. And so that was awesome. And that book came out in 2012. And then after that book came out, I was like, I'm all done with birds. Like, <laughs> I was like, I did it, you know, like, I'm proud of it. I'm happy I did it. And I don't need to do this now. So right afterward, I was like, I, what I had really wanted to do 
for a while sort of in the back of my head was to write a book about soft toy design. And I had had that idea filed away. I had actually pitched that idea to publishers prior to The Artful Bird. Um, and they were like, ah, it's kind of complicated. I don't know. And, <laughs> and it was really complicated because I didn't really understand how to write a book proposal and I right. made it, I made it way too complicated. And so after I wrote The Artful Bird, I was like, oh, okay, I see how this is done. Like, it doesn't have to be so overly complicated. Now I see like how it should be structured. And I had a really clear vision in my mind. So the book, The Artful Bird came out in, um, January of 2012. Oh, by the way, I had a baby, a third baby, the month, <laughs> the month prior to it coming out. So I had a baby in December, book in January, and I pitched my next book in February. So it was really rapid. But um, my so my second book, Stuffed Animals from Concept to Construction, came out in 2013. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a book about soft toy design. So that was sort of something I had wanted to do for years and was really, really happy that I got the chance to do. But when I turned the manuscript in for that book, I had been in this cycle of designing a new pattern every three weeks for a year, which is what it took to write that book. And I just kept going, you know, like I was like, this is the way things work. Like you just take the pictures, you write the text, you do the step outs, you know, like this is, you know, this is the process. And I was just in the process. So I was like, well, I think what I'll do is I'll make my, you know, publish my own pattern. So as soon as I turned that manuscript in, I like the next three weeks later, I was like, here's a PDF pattern for sale. There was a learning curve for sure to figure out how to make a PDF pattern and kind of do all of that myself. Because when you work with a publisher, they do the layout and all the rest of that stuff. And that's not my area of expertise. But I found a pretty simple, like cut and dry way to do it and um, started selling PDF patterns. And that was when my business really became a business. Like I think prior to that, even though I'd written two books and had lots of shows and, you know, all that. And had I'd been selling my stuff on Etsy since Etsy was in beta. In July 2005, I had opened my Etsy shop when Etsy first started. But, um, you know, so I'd been making a little bit of money, but it wasn't like a business. And But once I started selling patterns, I was like, oh, wow, this is how you make money doing this. I see. So then I started making more patterns because I really enjoyed doing it. And, and it was lucrative and fun. And I'm a teacher by training. So it definitely was you know, something I was used to writing lesson plans. It wasn't all that different. So that was really cool. And and it still is really cool. I mean, uh, it was great. I, I incorporated my business shortly thereafter and really started to make it into something where I was like doing bookkeeping and I opened a business bank account and like really, you know, decided to become serious about it as not just like, hey, this is a hobby, but like now I'm back to work. You know what I mean? Like now it's my job. Yeah. And so how much time per week do you spend? How many hours are you putting in to your business? Well, it's grown, you know, fortunately my kids are getting a little older. Um, They're 10, 8, and 4 now. So I have a little bit more time and I still very much work around their schedules. Uh, I don't have a nanny or anything like that. So I am, the little one is in preschool. And so I work around the preschool schedule and and I do work at night and on the weekends in order to make it work. But I would say this past year, I probably worked 25 hours total in a week. But the thing you have to realize about me is that when I say I'm working, like that's actually 25 hours of work. I don't count in there like the chit chat on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, right. I'm not a procrastinator. Like I'm there. I'm really not. So 
I just am working that whole time. And I feel like I have worked in a normal workplace where you actually go to work and there's people, adults there who work there. And, and, you know, a lot, there's definitely time when you're like, you walk into the building and you see people and you chit chat about the weather and, you know, about the movie you saw last night. And uh, so like none of that takes place in my world. So when I'm working, I'm just working. So I actually think people, myself included, who sometimes work full time, like 40 hours a week or, or more, they're not actually working all that time. You know, like there's the birthday party for the people who, you know, had a birthday that month and you have to go to it. And there's the retirement party. Like, I don't oh, go yeah. to any of those things. Right, right. So, it's all, um, it's work because there's no one yeah. else to talk to. You're so just... when I say 25 hours, it's, it's really, I think it's, it's sort of more than that in a weird way. But anyway. Because you have the two books that came out. And it seemed like it was sometime shortly after that that you started going more of an independent route and becoming an information provider yourself, like having that conversation. And I know you've shared a lot of behind-the-scenes information about your business with your um, y- your followers. And was that a conscious choice just to say, you know what, I want to kind of figure out more about what it takes to make a business sustainable and profitable, and I want to just be transparent with what I'm doing To be able to blog for so long, you have to be able to change. You know, it's almost like being in a marriage or a friendship. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be able to change as a person and this relationship has to be able to change with you um, in order for it to survive. And, um, And so I feel like, you know... I've just allowed Walshy Naps to become different things over the years. Um, what it once was is really far from what it is now, mm-hmm. except that all along it's been about pursuing the things that interest me most. And so that underlying thread is always there. And and I feel like a mistake that some people make is feeling like they need to start a new blog you know, like, well, my old blog was about this and I don't want to do that anymore. So mm-hmm. I'm going to get rid of it and start a new blog. And right. I have to say, like, I really think that that's a mistake. I feel like even if the name is no longer apt, I mean, my goodness, like had I known what I was going to become, I would never would have named it Walsh and Naps. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, everything about that name is the wrong name. But, you know, I just, it, it is what it is. And hopefully sort of the name becomes almost disconnected from its sort of on the surface meaning, you know, it's literal right. meaning and right. just becomes what it means to you from the content that you get from it and your relationship to it. So I just kept going with it and, and it's shifted over time. And as my business has changed and as the online culture of craft has changed and my own person has changed, I've just continued to pursue what I think is most interesting. And, and that's how we got where we are. Like that email newsletter ebook is because in uh, January of 2013, I made a New Year's resolution that I was going to start an email newsletter because people have been telling me for years, like I would see people at shows or whatever or sell something to somebody and they would say, well, add me to your your mailing list. And I would sort of nod and be like, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll be I'll right yeah, on that. Mm, yeah. Let me write that down, you know, and like, I would <laughs> never do it, like never. You know, I I'm like, what mailing list? You know, and I would say to them, like, oh, you can read my blog. But, like, people didn't really, you know, like, not that's not for everyone. They don't really understand what that is or how 
how to find it or how right. well, to keep just, up with it. There's just so many blogs too. Yeah, you know? it's just yeah. not, right, it's not for for everyone. So I was like, you know what, all this business advice tells you you should start a mailing list. So I just, you know, went on MailChimp and I was like, fine, you know, I'm going to do it. And then for like six months, I was like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Like, I don't understand. I'm going to be annoying everybody by sending them an email. And so I experimented with a lot of different things. And I wrote about that along the way, you know, on my blog, like, here's why I started a mailing list, you know, for real. And I wrote a blog post about that. So sort of just the blog is just kind of a chronicle of what I'm trying to do and why I'm doing it. I'm really interested in the why. Right. That question in itself prompts a lot of blog posts. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, that, so then I start. I, I finally like six months in, I, I was like, okay, I see now what I want to do with this email newsletter. And when I really got into a groove and started to make it useful to people and valuable to people, people loved it and really felt like it was like a little present in their inbox instead of being annoying. And I felt much better about writing it and came to love writing it. And it's like, it's been fantastic for my business. And so then, you know, over time, I'm like, okay, this could be like, I can show people how to do this for themselves. It doesn't have to be the same email newsletter that I'm writing, but I can help you find out what you should write um, and help you reach your bigger goals. I feel like the blog has just followed those interests. And I also think that, you know, I think there's a, there's a fair number of people who are in, I guess what I define is like the creative business self-help space where, you know, they're helping you to get clear on your goals and stop procrastinating and um, sort of uh, you know, figure out your pricing and mm-hmm. all sort of this, this sort of creative business self-help is sort of the way that I see it. And I guess I, I fall into that a little bit. Like I do write some posts that are about that. And I think there will be some association with me and that idea. But I also really feel most devoted to sort of writing almost like journalism style pieces in which I do like a lot of investigative work and um, and writing about sort of what's happening in the home sewing industry, what's happening in e-commerce, in the creative space. And I love those kinds of posts. Right. Well, you have one up. Uh, did that go up today? No, actually the 18th it went up. Three Bird Nest, the Etsy success story redefines where you right. Really, and this has gotten a lot of press lately. The, right. The woman that who who has been selling uh, almost a million dollars looks like in sales and it's not handmade stuff. Um, Etsy's changed. So you kind of delve into that. And it's interesting because it looks like, are you kind of using an aggregation kind of approach where you kind of gather information and put a lot of links in from other sources that have reported on it, but you did, you didn't directly interview her or the folks at Etsy or any of the people involved. Not in this case because, so Etsy's getting ready for an IPO and, as such, they're like in silent phase, so they can't actually talk to anybody right now okay. um, because prior to your IPO, you can't do that. You can't release any information. You can't talk to the press. So there's there's that. And uh, I did contact Alicia Schaefer, who runs the Bird Nest, um, for comment, but I heard back just from her customer service representative. I got her email address and emailed her directly, but didn't hear back. So for this post, I didn't talk to anybody directly. You're right. Like I did just research and kind of tried to show a little bit more of her entrepreneurial story to shed some light on sort of where she is now. For other posts, like I had a post over the summer about um, 
actually might have been earlier in the fall, about how much fabric designers earn. And that post was really interesting to people as well. And for that post, I did talk to six different fabric designers about uh, what they earn. And, you know, I talked to them on the phone. Were they reluctant to share that information? No, no, they weren't. I mean, part of it is because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And so I know some people and have built some nice relationships and friendships with people who do a lot of different things in the sort of sewing industry and craft industry. And so um, part of it is that. And I also really feel like, you know, overall, people do want to tell their story and want to be heard as long as they trust that you're going to tell it in the right way. So for that piece, you know, I uh, guaranteed everybody's anonymity and you know, it was interesting because afterward I had other people who I know in the industry like message me on Facebook and email me being like, come on, tell me who it was. And I really didn't tell anybody at all because, you know, I feel like, I, and I told them, you know, like, this is what I like to do most. And so if I reveal who the sources are, then I won't be able to do this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I hope you understand that this right. is what I need to keep doing. And so, you know, and I, feel like and hope that most of them would agree that like I I did do justice to what they were telling me about, you know, some of the feelings of exploitation that they were experiencing. And yeah, well, I'm looking at these prices here. And this was uh, for those who want to go and look this up. um, It's the November 3rd, 2014 post, you don't have to get too far into it. And you throw the example out of most designers earn about 5% of the wholesale price per yard of fabric sold. So if the suggested resale price of a yard of fabric is $11.12, the wholesale price is five fifty six. That means a designer is only earning $0.28 cents per yard. And I think when we head into our local fabric store, we're imagining a more glamorous life for designers. And it's kind of the same with the book industry too. I think people think that, uh, well, it's becoming more common knowledge that authors are not rich people, um, especially not craft book authors. But this kind of reporting that you're doing, I think is very helpful to people because sometimes people have just really unrealistic goals of like, if I could just get a deal design fabric, then I'm going to be set. And it's nice to know going into it, kind of what you're setting yourself up for. And it sounds like probably the people you talked to were not total rookies. These are probably people that have been doing this for a little bit, would you say? Or um, It was a mix. I mean, okay. I did talk to people who this has been their career and I talked to people who this was their first line. Okay. Um, so I definitely talked to a mix of people. And I think no, I knew going into it that it wasn't going to be something really lucrative to have a, a fabric line but or a collection of fabric. But, but at the same time, like I think that Sort of the goal there was to show, you know, this has got to be one piece of a puzzle. And even though it might not be lucrative or in in the end, you might either come out even or actually lose money if you are, you know, paying for a booth at Quilt Market, for example, to promote your line. But if you see it as a larger piece of the puzzle and there's a reason why this fits into your bigger goal, maybe you want to be a surface designer. And so you're going to use those, you know, skills to design paper and to design, you know, house homeware. And there's like lots of other ways to apply it. Or maybe you want your own fabric so that you can sew your patterns using your own fabric and have like a cohesive brand. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people do things. um, And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. But I also felt like it was important to show different companies are offering different deals and different expectations. And so 
because there's so much silence, people are so guarded about money and about contracts and they don't share information with one another. When you're new and you're coming in, or even if you're a veteran designer and, you know, a company is coming to you and saying, we want to have, you know, your patterns on our fabric, they present a contract to you or maybe they don't present a contract to you right. and it's done on a handshake. Um, but they're going to tell you something. This is this is what we're going to do for you. This is the money we're going to pay you. This is what we expect from you in return. And how can you know what that is? How can you evaluate that if you don't know what everybody else is being offered? Right. So um, that silence actually, even with authors, I think it makes it um, difficult for people to really get the best possible you know arrangement for themselves if nobody's talking you know yeah so, so a big part of my goal too is is almost like consumer education as well as designer education so that people who are in the consumer end know okay when i'm you know an adoring fan to this person who's a designer this is what this person's sort of business structure might look like and mm-hmm. this is what my buying from them contributes or doesn't contribute to their bottom line. So there's that. And then there's also a piece of sort of aspiring designer and just sort of overall community education that, you know, if we are more open about this information, then we can advocate for ourselves better and and also can stand up to companies who are putting us in, frankly, an exploitative position and say, you know, no, like we aren't going to agree to what you're asking mm-hmm. because what you're asking isn't fair and right. isn't, isn't what other companies are asking. Um, or yes, we are going to agree to it knowing that, you know, this is an unusual circumstance or whatever. So, so that's sort of a big part of my mission is to sort of to bring to light some of the things that are really hush hush. I'm kind of a frank person um, (laughs) told by people in the past that I'm a person who just likes to take off the veil and just say like, oh, well, let's just call it what it is then, you know. Do you think because of um, some of the research you've done with the fabric industry and then also your own experience publishing books with with established publishing houses and then also doing some ebook publishing, do you think we're going to see more of a shift toward more independence when it comes to um, fabric design and also publishing? Because we have Spoonflower that allows designers to kind of have a little more control over what they're designing and releasing in the marketplace. And, um, it, you know, independent um, publishing options are pretty, um, there's a lot out there. So what do you think is going to happen in the future? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think that, um, I love sort of watching things shift and I do sort of mourn, you know, I think that craft books, it's, it's, they're really hard to sell now. And I mourn the loss of a lot of craft magazines that have gone by the wayside as a result of people being, um, you know, getting so much free craft content online, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and video content online as well. Um, so, you know, I think they're, I really feel like video is awesome and I think that that's going to continue to be a big part of craft instruction because I think it's a great way. It's like the optimal way to be able to show somebody how to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so I'm, I'm sort of really uh, rooting for video for sure. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, as far as self-publishing is concerned, right? So there's a degree to which as you get more professional that you want to hire an editor for your self-published project, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want yep. the project, you know, working with an editor. If you've ever published a book or a magazine article or whatever, you know that when you work with an editor, you really get a lot more than just proofreading. You right. get somebody who can help you really structure 
the, the piece to make it stronger and point out loopholes to you and help you organize it better. I mean, there's so much that goes on that an editor can do, an editor's eye can do. So if you are self-publishing, at some point you're like, okay, I really want this to be good. I'm going to pay a freelance editor to help me. Um, and even if you're self-publishing a pattern, I want to pay a tech editor, you know, to help mm-hmm. me. Okay. And then you're like, well, I want this to look beautiful, right? Because this is a really visual industry. We're having people who, you know, are really struck by the way a book looks and the design of the cover, et cetera. So you're like, you know, I should hire a, like a book designer or like a graphic designer to be able to make my book really look professional and beautiful and the layout of the book helps you see the text better and you know take things in better and then you're like well I really want to hire a photographer to take the pictures <laughs> for my self-published pattern or my self-published book because hey I can kind of fool around with my camera but I'm not a photographer right I'm a pattern writer or whatever so you're like well let me hire you know a professional photographer to take the pictures and 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 that you know so what ends up happening is you end up recreating a publishing house Mm-hmm. Um, by piecing it together through freelancers. And the difference is, is that um, distribution, right? The, the biggest difference here is distribution. So that what was once you, you uh, authors uh, and makers relied on companies because they had the distribution. Um, they had the warehouse. They had the overseas printers and who could, you know, make the book and ship it here and then put it in the warehouse and then distribute it to all the places where people could go to their bookstore and find it. Well, right, that's not needed so much anymore because we can distribute online. And so um, so we're not – so we now have the same um, the same distribution model that the big companies have, right? So – for example, um, Stitchcraft Create is a big um, British publisher, and they um, publish books, craft books. And one of the things that they do in their contracts with their authors is they break apart um, each project from the book, and they sell the projects as PDF patterns separately from, you know, one at, one at a time, a la carte style, on Etsy. Um, they have Stitchcraft, Stitchcraft Create has its own Etsy shop, and it sells PDF patterns from the book. And so you have a person who is a designer who has their own Etsy shop who then writes a book with Stitchcraft Create and then is has and then they're selling the designs in their Etsy shop. And so like if they have Etsy and we have Etsy, then why do we need them? Right? So like right. that right. that sort of becomes the question like what do they have that we don't have? If we can hire our own photographer, our own designer, our own editor, and keep, you know, whatever profits left after that, what do they have that we don't have? Because even if you're only keeping, let's say, 50% of the profit, if you publish a book with them, you're keeping much, much, much less, right? So if well, a book... So what, what percent is it? I mean, because I know it, it fluctuates, but what's... Re- well, like-, like if a book sells for twenty four ninety five, right, that's the retail price that you've settled on with the publisher, then, um, you know, if you're able to pay off all of these different freelancers to make the book you want and sell it yourself, let's say you're, you're now going to be keeping $12 or something like that until you've paid off, you know, um, and when you do it with a publisher, you're keeping a dollar twenty. So, right. you know, so what, what do you need to do? So, I mean, it begs the question, right? Like, I definitely am in favor of working with professionals because there's no way that uh, a single person, I mean, maybe there is, but it's not me, who is super good, you know, and absolutely loves all aspects of this 
sort of piece that comes together. I mean, it's really hard to well, find it's, something. Well, yeah. it would be very unusual. And even if somebody yeah. was really good at graphic design, writing, photography, um, and, you know, the content, everything, if they were really good at everything, it would take forever for one person to right. be able to get that out right. the door. And there are awesome people who um, who are they just love that one aspect. And even if it's sort of setting up your e-commerce shop so you can efficiently sell it, you know, online, there are people who love setting up e-commerce shops and would be happy to help you or shooting a video to promote the final piece, like a little video trailer. There are people who love to shoot video trailers and can do it so well. And it's so worth paying for. So, you know, you put some money up front and you end up sort of building your own publishing house in a small way. Mm-hmm. That takes work too, like finding that videographer, finding the right book designer, managing all of those people. I mean, that's another reason why you give up money to a publisher is because they do all of that stuff for you. You simply like send them the manuscript and the samples and then you wait, you know, a year and a half and it's out. Now, it also, you relinquish control. Like, you might not have been able to have control of the title or of which photo went on the front cover or, you know, some aspects of that. They might have caught a project that you really were devoted to. And when you can do it yourself, you can control that. You also have the length, right? Like, so one other part of print publishing is that it has to appeal to the widest possible uh, market. And so it can't be hyper niche because it won't sell enough copies right. to pay off the $25,000 it took to make that book. So it, and it also is limited in length because it can't be more than 160 pages or whatever their page count is to make it worthwhile within the budget. And so when you're publishing online, it can be super niche. Like I have a an ebook that is a curriculum basically for people who want to teach other people in their local community to use their sewing machines. So I teach this class. I'm teaching it Monday night, actually, here in my town. And people come and they bring their sewing machines that they've gotten for Christmas or have been under their bed for, you know, years and years and <laughs> don't know how to use because they forgot how to thread a, thread the needle and they forgot how to wind a bobbin or what even is a bobbin. And, and so they come and they spend two and a half hours with me and By the end of the class, they all know how to sew. So they can go home and, you know, actually really learn, but they know how to use their sewing machine. So I put together all the curriculum materials for that so that people who know how to use their sewing machine can teach that where they live. And it's a fun class to teach. It is a lucrative class to teach. And um, you can teach it ongoing wherever you live. But that's a really niche product. You know, like, I'm not really sure that would fly, like, on Amazon, you know. So, um, but I have it as a $9 ebook. You get everything you need to get started. And it's done super well. And so, like, it can be kind of unusual. It could be really long or a weird length or whatever, and you can still distribute it enough to make it worth your while to create it. What portion of your um, business have your eBooks comprised? Have they, are your patterns still your most popular thing that you're, you're selling to your audience? This past year, I did an income report each quarter. So you can kind of see exactly how much. Um, so I have 43 PDF patterns. And now I have three ebooks, although for a long time, I only had two. The third one, which we haven't talked about is, is uh, the insider's guide to starting an online sewing pattern business. So between those two that I had this past year, they comprise maybe like 19% of my income and um, the sewing patterns really make up the rest. But if you think about it with just two versus the 40 three patterns, mm-hmm. um, they're pulling way more than their weight. So, right, right. Yeah. 
So it looks like your price points are for the um, how to know your sewing machine. That right. curriculum is nine dollars, and then right. your two other books, um, how to start an online sewing pattern business, and then right. the, the email news- newsletter. Those are eighteen dollars each. And right. how are people doing? Like, because a lot of times, you know, and I've gotten this too, which is some of the PDF things that I've sold. Um, sometimes people they kind of bulk a little bit. They're like, "Whoa, it's not an actual printed paper thing." <laughs> right. Uh, this is whoa, like this is crazy. So how are people responded? Um, you know, people respond really well. I think that definitely want to really make it clear on the sales page what it is that you're getting, um, mm-hmm. that you know that it's it's not a an actual book that's coming in the mail. I think it flies because I have a long, long history of writing information that people want and mm-hmm. need. And so if you just sort of dropped in out of the blue and offered this product, it might not be so you know, people might not know what to expect and right, might not right. like it so much. But, you know, I, I write on my blog three times a week and I have for so long. You know, I guess I also sort of feel like I have no advertising on my blog because I really don't want to be beholden to any of the companies that offer products within the online sewing pattern and sewing industry. Like I wrote a piece over the summer that was critical of the exec who runs RFL Threads. And I really felt free to write that piece because I didn't need any kind of advertising dollars Mm -hmm. from a thread company. And so I wasn't disappointing an advertiser. You know, I'm in no way beholden to them. That being said, I have the kind of traffic on my blog now that could make money from advertising and I don't do it. Um, So when you come to my blog, it's completely ad free. And, you know, I guess some people maybe don't notice that at all, or or it doesn't really, they don't really care about that, but I care about it. But on the other hand, right, so I probably spend, you know, at at least maybe 60, 70% of my week working on my blog. Mm -hmm. And I don't generate any revenue <laughs> directly from it. And so I have to have a certain number of products people can buy oh, to yeah. support the F, the work that I do. Um, right. And so not like you said, a lot of people come to my blog who don't sew. Um, they don't sew. Uh, they're a jewelry maker. They're you know, a photographer. They're people who have all different kinds of creative endeavors. And then there are people who sew who don't sew toys and are never going to sew a toy. Like I just like, nah, I don't see why I would ever do that. And I understand that feeling completely because there's many things I don't sew as well. Like I don't sew clothes, for example, and most people who sew like to sew clothes. So I, I just, I felt like I, I really do have to diversify like what I offer so that there are options for people to buy something that works for them from mm-hmm. what I have. And one of the things I really appreciate about what you've contributed to the conversation is that you take the time to well research what you're talking about. I think it's good for everybody as they're making decisions about where they want to be selling their work and what they want to be involved in and just being a little more educated about how that landscape has changed. And um, yeah, so keep doing what you're doing because I know I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. That's very nice of you. I mean, I, I guess my, my last thought on that would just be that you know, I, I don't necessarily think that 
beyond an article that's sort of sensational about, you know, a knitter making a million dollars a year on Etsy, which is clearly a a sort of misnomer and and also very sensational. Beyond that kind of an article, the rest of the stuff that happens in our industry, in the online craft industries, is not going to be picked up by sort of mainstream Mm -hmm. media. Like they're not, there isn't going to be an article covering these sorts of of issues. And, And if I can be that person who um, who sort of writes about what's happening, um, then that can it, like if that can be my role, then that would make me really happy. So um, so that that's sort of where I feel like I fit right now, and what I have to offer right now is like I can be the reporter for what happens right now in in you know sewing and craft, and sort of you know give people that that sort of the news and analysis in a way that maybe other people aren't necessarily writing about. But I agree with you. I mean, mainstream media, there really isn't room for this kind of coverage. So it's, um, you know, really imperative that, that people are out there paying attention to it. So, yeah. um, so yeah. And I know on your podcast, how long have you been podcasting now? Um, well, I start, I, okay. It's been maybe like a, a year and a quarter, but, um, I started it really by accident just by, because I wanted to talk to somebody who was a little bit older and I didn't think that they would want to write a guest post on a blog. Cause I didn't think that they would really understand what that was all about. And so I was like, well, I just really need to call her and then I'll just record the conversation with her permission. And so she said yes. And so I called her, this is a veteran designer named Carol Cruz who designed soft toy patterns for McCall's for many years. And so I had a conversation with her and that was sort of the first podcast because I, I kind of published it just like, hi, just, you know, talking to her on the phone. <laughs> um, and then and then there was a few other times in which that happened, like when Etsy changed their policy to allow outside manufacturing partners um, a year and a half ago. Uh, they contact, I wrote a piece about it, like right after they made the, they had a town hall meeting and um, I live tweeted the town hall meeting. And then I wrote a, a post explaining what it, what this was all about. And they reached out to me and were like, we want to talk to you about, you know, about it and, and help you understand it. And, and, you know, help you spread the word, et cetera. And I was like, well, I'll do that if we can record it. And they were like, sure. So I, I really didn't think they would say yes, but they did. And so I recorded a, a call with them. Um, and actually, that's still my most popular episode, weirdly. Um, but anyway, so over time, it just sort of became a podcast because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's all these people that I want to talk to. And um, sometimes a conversation that you're essentially as a podcast listener, you're like overhearing a conversation between yeah, two people. Yeah, that's usually what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, in, in, there's some types of information that it, that's sort of the best format for. Um, and so it, it kind of became a podcast that way. And then um, and then I also am a huge podcast listener and I love um, uh, Boing Boing, which is you know by Mark Fraunfelder. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, he had a podcast um, where called Gweek where he was um, bringing on two guests and, and they were not only talking about their own work, but also um, recommending things that they really enjoy, all kinds of things like apps and books and magazines and tools and all sorts of interesting things. And I would find myself like, going on Amazon and ordering stuff like constantly <laughs> while I was listening because I was like, oh my God, that's so neat. And we ended up with so much great stuff at my house because of that, like really great books and all sorts of cool stuff. So I was like, that's what I want to do. Like I want that to be part of my show. And so my show sort of became a combination of talking to people who are in the creative entrepreneurial space 
sort of focused on sewing and then also having them recommend great stuff that they're enjoying right now. Well, I think that it's a great format. And, um, <laughs> and I know I, I was um, hula hooping at the end of the last episode that I was <laughs> listening to. Um, I'm trying really hard to um, to get myself back into marathon form here. And it's really hard. The the, uh, the older we get, the harder it is <laughs> to kind of kickstart the fitness yeah. routine. And um, But one of the things that was really funny is when, you know, you and your guests are talking about I'm like, oh, I need a piece of paper. And I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I'm hula hooping right now. So I'm like, I gotta have to just play it again at the end there and yeah. hear it. But um, so do you have something I didn't prep you for this, but do you have something that you'd like to recommend? Is there anything that um, um, you've come across? You kind of recommended the Work Even blog already. Um, yeah. Is it just yeah. workeven.com or? Yeah, workeven.com. Um, okay. Yeah, that's a cool one for sure. Um, well, I just got this app yesterday, which um, I don't know. I'm still playing with it since it's still brand new to me, but um, I'll recommend it. It's called Nuzzle. N-U-Z-Z-E-L. And um, it's an app for iOS. So it's on my iPhone. And um, I think it's also a website as well. But basically what what it is, is um, you connect it to your Twitter and you can connect it to your Facebook as well. You just kind of sign in. And then it takes all of the sort of articles that your friends have been sharing on Twitter okay. and um, digest them for you. So you get the first like sentence or two of the article with a little visual and the headline. And then you get underneath it all of the people that you follow on Twitter who have shared that article. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's shared by six different people and you see their little faces <laughs> underneath there. Um, and so you can see like, wow, you know, 13 of my friends in the last, I don't know how long the time, oh, last 24 hours it says, in the last 24 hours shared this article. So if you haven't been on Twitter in a while and, you know, you haven't sort of checked in or whatever, maybe you've been actually working on something, right, um, right. you can go on, on your Nuzzle app and be like, oh, this is what everybody's talking about on there. And so you can click over, you can click directly over to the article and read the rest and you can hit a button which you can share it. Uh, you can pin it. You can, you know, put it in. I use Pocket to save articles throughout the week. You can put it in Pocket or um, whatever you want to do with it right from the app. So well, I think it's cool. super useful because there's no way, like, I mean, I follow, like, I don't know, 800 people or something on Twitter. And so um, sometimes you're missing something that's really interesting in this way. You won't miss it. And they they also, if you want, they can send you an email every morning that kind of gives you that same digest. So oh, that's really cool. That's and it's, and it, yeah, and it's curated. You know, you curate your own, you know um, – it's just stuff you want, not just all kinds of nonsense coming. Yeah, it's the stuff that your friends are sharing. So if you're following the, that person, you probably are interested in what they have to share and what they have to say. And so, right. So what is being picked for you are the things that your friends are interested in. So. Okay. Well, that sounds good. And I have um, two apps to recommend. Um, oh, yeah, I've been using the... Um, lose it app which you you put all your uh everything you eat in in the day and i always have been totally just not someone who would ever do that because i'm so spontaneous um alas that's how we get off track is when we're spontaneous with our eating <laughs> so um but no what i like about the lose it app is it's really quick you just put in what you've eaten it does your calorie count you can set a goal for yourself and um anytime you put your exercise in that's my favorite part is putting my exercise in. And then I try to be, um, you know, you don't want to be unhealthy about it to the point where you're ex exercising like a maniac and becoming too obsessive about this. You want to be 
you know, have a healthy outlook, be happy with where you're at right now in your life. But um, this is a great way to set a set a goal. I think my goal is like a hundred and some days out. So it doesn't give you any kind of crazy, like in two weeks, you'll be five sizes smaller or anything right. weird. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's one that I recommend for people that are looking to re, you know, kind of maintain their fitness um, or, um, just be able to be organized about their health goals. And then the other one that is not a fitness-related one at all is an app called Manual. I don't know if you've heard about this um, no. app. I love iPhone photography. I take a ton of photos every day. And with your iPhone, you're limited. You can't, you don't have all the settings that you have on, on your SLR camera, but you can control your, you know, focus, speed, ISO, white balance, um, it does a zoom function as well. And there's, you know, your flash is on here and it's just, it just takes the iPhone camera and enhances it. So oh, wow. it gives you a little more, you can just do more with your phone. And I want to say that I paid, I think it was $1.99 at the time that I purchased it, but I believe this is not a free app. The, uh, other app I recommended, the lose it app is a free app. So yeah, but, but, nuzzle, nuzzle is free as well. Yeah. And I usually gravitate toward free apps, but if it's but something, sometimes it's worth paying for. Oh my for gosh. Sure. And for oh, two, yeah. two bucks. I mean, it's right. not like it's 20 bucks. It's right, two right. bucks, you know? And, and I think that the app developers, um, they deserve a little bit of a, you know, they, they are doing some cool stuff for us out here. A uh, special thanks to Abby for being a guest on the podcast for a third time. We really appreciate you stopping by and just sharing what you've learned through the years. I really enjoy talking to folks like Abby because she has just been pretty meticulous about how she's approaching her business and her online persona. And she's really been able to ramp things up. Now she's sharing what she's learned. And that's very great. You know, a lot of people just focus on the business money making side of things. And, and Abby uh, is doing a great job of just kindly giving back to the community and I think what happens too when you give back to the community, they support you. This gave me a lot to think about. I'm I'm in a point now where I'm actually just dusting off my dormant email newsletter. I am definitely taking some tips from from Abby and then trying to figure out like, okay, how can this be an authentic newsletter? If you haven't signed up for the Craft Sanity newsletter yet, I recommend that you do. It's going to be hopefully not a complete nuisance. I am writing columns every week that like just like I would write for the newspaper these columns are going to be a mix of profiles about people from Michigan but they'll also be about people from all over the world that I interview through my podcast and I'm also going to be having some discount codes for the craft sanity shop in that newsletter I'll also have some other updates on what's going on behind the scenes and if I'm putting a call out for People who do a particular kind of craft or I'm working on researching a particular thing and I'm looking for guests on the show, I will put some information, put some calls out through that newsletter. Once again, I'd like to thank my Patreon sponsors for their continued support of the show. Thank you so much, all of you folks. High fives to you all. And if you can see me right now, I'm doing high fives to you all. Um, <laughs> I also want to thank Ted and his team over at ACSHomeAndWork.com for their continued support of the show as well. If you're interested in coming on board as a sponsor, email jennifer at craftsanity.com and we can talk about the possibilities. I do want to tell you about one more thing. I'm definitely in this phase of my life right now where I'm trying to do as much as I can, like things that I was like, man, maybe someday I'll try this. And then it never happens because I'm so busy. And I've always wanted to be work on stop motion animation. I spent the last two and a half days working on a collaboration. Honestly, I cannot even 
remember. There's a conversation. Next thing I know, I'm recording my kids saying the lines. The whole thing was filmed with these owls sitting on my sewing machine. If you head over to craftsanity.com or the Craft Sanity YouTube channel, you can see this little video. I really do want you guys to weigh in on this because this was fun to make, but it's very time consuming. So I'd like to do more of this sort of thing, but I also do not want to give you guys things that you do not want. Jonathan Lopez did the animation and did a fantastic job. I mean, it was a lot of fun to collaborate on this. I think at this stage that I'm in is I'm really trying to figure out what I'm going to do next here with Craft Sanity. We're trying some projects. I want to collaborate with as many people as I can and just want to just explore all the possibilities. So thank you all for your support and your kind notes. I got a lot of email after my last tearful podcast. If you guys have any story ideas for me, feel free to send those to jennifer at craftsanity.com or you can leave a comment at craftsanity.com just underneath the episode 157 and head back over there to see links to Abby's website and check out her online shop. Folks, I have to go prep for another interview. I am going to be back with a show next week about embroidery. I think you're going to like this one. I know I am. I love embroidery. So that's going to be fun. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at craftsanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at craftsanity.etsy.com. Same time next week will be craft.